Um, not to contradict what Pastor John said, but I actually think these boxes are illustrating uh, the increase of budget. We're supposed to have these things full of cash by the end of the 2019 fiscal year. <laughs> but moving on in the sermon, <laughs> our passage this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And um, if you brought your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Please give your attention to reading God's Word. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let that endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, the opportunity to gather together and give you praise and worship you um, regardless of what we're facing in life because uh, when our circumstances change, you don't. And I pray that as we get into your word together that you teach us uh, what it is that you are doing through trials and that we leave here with the understanding and the confidence in you that uh, when we face those trials and everything else fails us, you don't. Um, we invite you, Father, to speak to us all today. In your name we pray. Amen. Gold is one of the most valuable materials on earth. It has been used for centuries as money, but it also has many uses in manufacturing, industry, and even space flight. And one of the traits that makes gold so useful is that it can be so easily shaped and molded to the point where if you take an ounce of gold, it can be flattened out to cover 100 square feet. But before it's ready to be used as currency or in manufacturing, it must go through a process that involves intense heat. Gold has a, a temp, has a melting point of almost 2,000 degrees, and this process, known as refining, removes all the impurities and all the other elements that don't belong in the gold. And now God, in a similar way, uses trials to refine our faith as Christians. But oftentimes, when we encounter these trials, we get anxious. Sometimes we're unable to sleep, and when we're looking at what we're facing down the road, we wonder, how are we going to make it through? Now, as Christians, we expect that because we live in a fallen world, we're not always going to experience perfect health. We're not going to experience perfect relationships or the perfect job or the perfect marriage. But what we can't expect or plan for is how those imperfect circumstances unfold, such as getting the flu the day before you start your new job or you're burning through your savings account because you've got to make ends meet. It could even be that a close relationship abruptly comes to an end with no explanation. Shane and I recently met a lady who had been married for over 30 years and had three kids with her previous husband, and then one week he suddenly decided to call it quits. Leading up to it, there was no indication or warning that anything was wrong, and three years after the fact, she still has no explanation for why. <clears throat> fact is, we all face trials in life, both big and small, but when we face those trials, how do we respond? 
Where do we go to for our strength? The bottom line is, when we use our own wisdom to navigate through, our, through those trials, we lose the ability to endure them. If you're hit by hard financial times, the circumstances may become so grim that you entertain the thought of pawning off something that's not even yours, and you think, you know what, I gotta do what I gotta do and they'll understand. It could be you're being harassed as a Christian, and it's unfair because you didn't do anything to deserve it. And so you start convincing yourself, you know what, I'm just gonna harass them back. And sometimes we seek to hide behind the pain of trials through distractions. Whether it be we watch more TV, spending more time on Facebook or YouTube, drink more alcohol. Sometimes it could be we keep our schedule so full just to stay busy, keep our mind off things. Now our passage this morning isn't about how to plan in order to avoid the trials, nor is it to learn crafty ways to get out of them, because frankly I think we all know that we can't do that. What it is about is the understanding that God's wisdom equips us with the perseverance to endure the trials. And one way God's wisdom does this is by changing our perspective. We ought to realize that trials are for our joy, not our misery. Verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it all joy. Another way of putting it would be reckon it to be for your joy when you encounter these various trials. Now that's a bold statement to make because when we come across those trials, how often do we see those trials as being for our joy? Probably not a whole lot. It's probably more of, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? And if that's the way that we view trials, James helps us understand why we ought to change our perspective. And one reason is because God works through those trials to produce endurance for our faith. Now there's a couple of things to point out about trials in verse 2. And one is encountering the trials is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They're unavoidable. Secondly, we aren't told specifics about what kind of trials we're going to encounter. So therefore, whether they're big or small, God uses them all. The question is, how does God use them? Well, trials have a way of revealing our areas of weaknesses, don't they? And with every trial that we face, God is at work sifting and filtering out all the clutter and the junk out of our faith, and uh, it's almost like a spiritual detox. But it's not simply a process of things being pulled out, it's also what's being produced in it. And what's left through that process is a greater endurance, deeper steadfastness, and more patience. You know, I heard it said that this endurance is our ability to keep on keeping on. Now, this doesn't mean that trials won't hurt or that trials won't sting, but what it does mean is that it keeps us afloat rather than allowing us to sink when the waves come crashing down. Paul Tripp says that God will take you where you wouldn't want to go to produce in you what you couldn't accomplish. Now, understand that James isn't calling to simply put on a fake perspective of joy This isn't the field of dreams that if we put on the fake joy, the genuine thing's going to come. It's a genuine joy that he's talking about based on the understanding that through trials, God is making us more like Christ. 
Verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, it's interesting to note that the two words for perfect in verse 4 aren't the same in the Greek. The first perfect we see is describing the progression of bringing something to a whole using all the necessary parts. And the second perfect, followed by the word complete, is describing what the end result of that process will be. What it's describing is how you and I will be presented before God that is lacking in nothing. And though we aren't perfect yet, we are nonetheless in the process of being perfected. Now, I briefly want to go back up to verse 2 and point something out about the word testing. Testing means shown to be genuine or given approval. Chuck Swindoll uses the example of clay vessels that were produced in the days of James. And what he says is, is that after these vessels were formed and put through the furnace, the potter would wait for the furnace to cool down, and then he'd pull these pots and inspect them. And upon his inspection, if he would find that they produced cracks or that they fell apart, then he would toss them aside or put them on a discount rack. Now, for those that remained together, it would receive an inscription on the bottom that read, Dokimos. It means approved. Now, this is important because while it's true that we will experience victory and perfection one day when we get to heaven, we are also experiencing victory now. You and I are constantly going to be in and out of the furnace, but because Christ endured the trials that would have broken us, we remain intact. Through Christ's endurance that he gives to us, he gives what we need to persevere through the trials today and tomorrow and the years to come. And in addition to that, through that process, we're becoming more like him. James, a few verses down in verse 12, says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now that's the ultimate perfection that we haven't fully obtained yet. And uh, some of us may struggle with that, and if you uh, believe something contrary, just ask your spouse. They can tell you otherwise. And as God's work in our lives progresses, we need to understand that that doesn't mean that the trials come to us less frequently. Nor does it mean that we eventually become so smart, we have all the answers to solve every situation that occurs. But what it does mean is that when our circumstances change, our faith ought to remain set on the God who doesn't. We must trust that God's way is the only way to persevere through the trials. Verses 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. One thing that we can take from these verses is that God never runs out of wisdom, even when we do. God's reservoir of wisdom is always full, and it contains everything that we need for perseverance. So the question is, how do we tap into that? Some may feel as though we need to serve a year of penance first. Others may think that we need to send God our resume, hope that our qualifications are good enough. The unfortunate thing is that were true, none of us would qualify. But Christ has. Because Christ has, Jesus faith, because Christ, excuse me, because Jesus faithfully endured the cross on our behalf, we now have access to God's wisdom. And 
1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus is that wisdom. It says that it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. That is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And family, when we are facing the trials and we don't have the answers, and we don't even know how to process what's going on, we need wisdom. A good definition of wisdom is the ability to see life from God's vantage point. And when we are struggling to see life from God's vantage point, verse 5 in our passage says, all that we need to do is ask. We ought to pray. And how does God respond? It says that he gives generously and without reproach to those who trust him. So he gives it without criticizing those who ask. And he's not annoyed that you can't figure out what to do by yourself. And he's not moody. In other words, you don't have to wait to catch God on a good day to ask for this wisdom. And I'll put it this way. Based on the phrase in verse 5 that says, it will be given to him, we should take that as a promise. And we should take that as a promise because if God didn't have the wisdom to give or if he didn't want us to use that wisdom, he wouldn't put it in his word. And we should ask for that wisdom because it's only God's wisdom that keeps us stable during the trials. Verses 6 through 8 says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In order to receive this wisdom, we must believe that God's the only source that we will get it from. Now, a while back, I was doing some work on my truck, and I didn't have a particular tool that I needed to do this task, so I went all across town, and any store that I saw that remotely looked like it would have tools in it, I would stop to see if they had what I needed. As my searches came up empty, I got to the point that as I would be walking up to these stores, I would doubt that they had what I needed before I even walked in. But my perspective was that if they didn't, it wasn't a big deal because I had three other stores I was going to look at down the road. Now, the point is, is that when it comes to our need of wisdom, we can't just see God is another store. We can't see God's wisdom as being like a lottery ticket, that we may get lucky, we may not, but it's worth a shot. We must believe that we need, that what we need to persevere through the trials is only to be found in God's wisdom and nowhere else. And when we doubt that to be true, we end up relying on our own wisdom And consequently, that's when we lose our endurance. We lose our traction. We become unstable in all our ways. James says that's the result of double-mindedness. Now, I've heard that a double-minded man is a person who wants his will and God's will at the same time. A pastor once put double-mindedness in perspective this way. I'm not sure what country this uh, took place in, but he says people have found an easy way to catch a particular species of monkey by just using a gourd, a rope, and rice. And no, I've not been watching episodes of MacGyver. This is a real thing. So what they do is they take this gourd and they cut the tops off and they hollow this gourd out and they fill it full of rice. They'll tie a rope around it and they'll walk away and sit and wait. And as these little monkeys come walking along, they smell the rice They pick up the gourd and they stick their hand down in and they grab this rice, but because their fist is too big, they can't pull it back out and they get stuck. And as people approach these monkeys, they start jumping up and down, they start screaming, they're going completely nuts. 
but that stubborn monkey gets captured because he won't let go of the rice. Now, because he wants his will and God's will at the same time, a double-minded man becomes unstable in all his ways because he won't let go of the rice. Now, James uses this word again in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So when we see that James says that a double-minded man ought not to expect to receive anything from God, does that mean that a double-minded man can never receive the wisdom of God again? Truth be told, we have all put our confidence in something other than God at times. And when that happens, what ought we to do? James says that we ought to purify our hearts. We need to repent. We need to let go of the rice. And when we single-mindedly trust that God has the wisdom that we need to endure the trials, he gives it, and he gives it generously. God is on our side. And a few concluding remarks about our passage, and we'll come to a close. Number one, God wants us to see our trials with a perspective of joy, with the understanding that he is refining all the impurities out of our faith, and he is producing Christ-like character qualities in us. Secondly, there is no trial big enough to thwart, prevent, or reverse God's work from doing this. Whether they're big or small, God uses them all. Thirdly, when we find ourselves not knowing how to navigate the trials that we face, we ought to pray. God has and wants to give us the wisdom that we need. Lastly, we must trust that God knows exactly what he's doing and that God has us exactly where he wants us. And we can show that trust by obeying his wisdom during the trials and during his way. And if you're having a hard time imagining the good or the joy that comes through the trials, I invite you to just look at your own life. Think about the faith that you have now versus the faith that you did when you first became a Christian. And ask yourself, what are the areas that I have grown in? And if you answer that question, follow it up with, under what circumstances did that growth take place? And if you answer those questions, I would be willing to bet that your answer would align if not exactly, pretty close to what our passage in James is talking about this morning. It probably came through entrusting yourself to God through the trials, and you've seen God work and grow in you in ways that you never thought possible, and he's not done, and we're still growing. And as the trials continue to come, family, the only way that we continue to endure is by keeping our eyes fixed on the one who endured the worst of them all. We keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's such a mind-blowing concept, a mind-blowing truth that we can see our trials with joy. Father, truth is, if we didn't have you in the picture, if Christ wasn't real, that would be a complete absurdity. It would be a lie. But the reason that we can have joy is because Christ is real. Christ did endure. Christ did endure completely 
and he is on your right hand, and he is giving us the nurse that we need to remain together here and now. And he continues to work in us and perfect us. And Father, while that doesn't take the immediate pain of the trials away, I pray that you comfort us with your spirit, and you give us the strength to, to get through the trials. It's not uh, forget about Christ through those trials as if we have no hope, because we do. He's in us and with us every step of the way. And God, you are working a great work in each of us through those trials. I'm sure we can all attest to the fact that we are starkly different today than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And showing that your work is great. And as we leave here today, I thank you, Father, and we give you praise because, again, when we go through those trials and everything else fails us, you fail us not. In your name we pray. Amen.